This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on this show upcoming are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, this is Dan Zhang with Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM and streaming live on the internet at via KUCI.org. Uh, today we're going to have a treat for you to kick off our new summer season. We'll be uh, airing a talk given by Wang Dan, who's the um, student activist from the Tiananmen student uprising era. Uh, he was a leader of the students uh, who assembled at the square in China. And he'll talk about uh, his um, a look back at the period where the memory is uh, still there and whether people uh, can still learn from the events of 1989. Uh, he was uh, speaking here at Irvine in May as part of a lecture series sponsored by the Center for the Study of Democracy here at the University of California, Irvine. And he also um, was um, present, uh, was able to take a lot of questions and answers, and we'll be airing some of that also. So let's go to that um, tape, a uh, tape uh, replay of his talk uh, at UC Irvine. Um, oh, and for the Q&A section, in order to express my opinion completely or 100% accurate, so I, I should apologize at the other one that I may use, English, use Chinese to answer a question that I have interpreted to to give you a translation for my answers. Um, discussions about the reasons behind the procession of Yuan and the significance of 1989 democracy movement have never ceased during the past 17 years. I think that one problem in these discussions is that there has been insufficient analysis of this Yuan against the background of the social development after June 4th, especially the characteristic of the transition in China since Deng Xiaoping's trip to the South China in 1992. This shortcoming limited the analysis and discussions of June 4th to the framework to a certain year, I mean 1989, and to a certain group, I mean student organizations. This is, for me, this is really unfortunate. So here, I would like to provide some thought about the Yuan that I hope will relate the, pro relate the movement to the social transition in the 1990s. First, nowadays the rethinking about June 4th, I think, put more emphasis on the demand for democracy, while ignoring another very important demand of the time, that is, the demand to eradicate corruption. In fact, one of the basic reasons why we students and uh, intellectuals raised the issue of democracy was because we thought the only way to eliminate corruption would be through the establishment of a democratic institution. Since June 4th and up to this very day, it's very obvious that the corruption has become worse and worse in China 
and is currently the greatest obstacle in China to further development. I think that one of the reasons for the rampant institutional corruption that exists today is the violent crackdown on the demand to weep out corruption in 1989. This is because in the aftermath of June 4th, the Communist Party refused to embark on any political reform. As a result, it has been impossible to establish anti-corruption institutions, and any movement to eliminate corruption has remained limited to within the party, within the establishment. Our activities and suggestions for anti-corruption which come from outside the establishment are regarded as a challenge to the party's authority. In addition, because the students demanded to eliminate corruption were suppressed, pressure from the civil society have diminished because of fears of political terror. The people's apathy toward politics and the avoidance of political participation throughout the 1990s can be seen as expressions of such political fear. Thus, we can see the crackdown on June 4th is not only a victory of the authoritarianism, but also it was a victory for corruption. Second, it has been said that students' demand were largely fulfilled during the reform in the aftermath of Deng Xiaoping's trip to the South in 1992. People who take this land can claim that the Chinese Communist Party has already learned its lessons from June 4th. But I think that the direction of the reform in the 1990s is not that which the student demanded in 1989. Even though on the surface, it appears that students' demands for further economic reform were largely satisfied by Deng Xiaoping's talk in 1992. In reality, the fact is that because of the crackdown so-called liberal thought and the establishment of a market economy are actually developing without participation of people's power and in the absence of oversight by the people. Thus, the underlying purpose of Deng's trip to the South and the CCP's promotion of further economic reform have been only to strengthen political power of the Communist Party and to maintain internal unity within the party. And the cost for this is being paid for by the people. In actuality, since 1992, there really has not been any more political reform. Because the authorities are no longer interested in avoiding to establish a democratic China. The economic reform has been transformed into a license to openly steal the people's property. Therefore, I think since 1982, the reform has basically died. Instead, what we see today is a process whereby one group is collectively benefiting from the dividing up of the people's property. 
This has produced a serious social injustice, regional inequalities, and growing rich poor and urban rural gaps. These are all issues that we were concerned about in 1989. I still remember that at that time, some people pointed out that market economy reforms without the establishment of a democratic institution will ultimately be transformed into a process of dividing up benefits. This is the reason why we appealed for democracy in 1989. Therefore, we can see that China today is taking a development path based on social injustice because the CCP did not learn the lessons of Jun Fox. Third, it has also been argued in some quarters that it was Jun Fox itself that caused the CCP to cut short its plans for political reform, including its plans for the other reforms. And the Jun Fox can be blamed for halting progress with respect to reforms. These people argue that the students in 1989, they had very good intentions, but the result of their good intentions had negative effects. But this is just conjecture lacking in any historical evidence. In fact, it was not the 1989 student movement that out the process of reform. The truth is that the demand for further reform scared the leader of CCP such that it ended up resorting to brutal military means to stop it. Basically, compared to the democratic movement, both in Eastern Europe and in Taiwan, the democratic movement in China in 1989 did not raise very radical demand. When the students embarked on their hunger strike, they had only two conditions. One was that the government and the April, the government amend the April 26th editorial in People's Daily and not refer, refer to the student movement as turmoil. Is this a radical demand? The second condition was to open up a public dialogue with officials to discuss reform. Can anyone say that this is radical? When we were planning the hunger strike, I suggested that we had the third conditions. That was that we asked He Dongcheng, who at that time was the Minister of the State Education Commission, to step down. But this suggestion was rejected by the other student leaders because they thought that we should not push the government too far. From my experience, I know that the students were being both rational and moderate. If there really were some reform factions within the CCP that had plans for further political reform, I'm sure the students' actions undoubtedly could provide them with a very good opportunity and very strong support. If the authorities had accepted the demand of the student and had been willing to engage in a dialogue with the society, thereby promoting political reform, the rational reform process could have been undertaken. How did it happen that the CCP called this a big turmoil? So the responsibility for what occurred 
should be placed entirely on the shoulder of Chinese government. It was the government that refused to accept this golden opportunity for China. And then the reform was halted. Those who claim that it was the students' actions that brought an end to the plans of the reform, reform factions within the CCP have a very one-sided opinion about the internal reform process of the party. In 1989, they put all their hopes on Zhao Ziyang, the former general secretary of CCP. And in 1982, they again put their hopes on Zhu Rongji. And now they put their hopes on Hu Jintao and Wen Jiabao. But what, what has happened? I'm sorry to see that these people were disappointed over and over again. There was never any student movement or any other movement to upset any plan by Zhu Rongji. But still, did he ever do anything for political reform? And we can say was what happened in Hong Kong today. Hong Kong is a society with a very stable social situation and a large middle class. So why does the Chinese government refuse to allow general election in 2007? Obviously, the blame for this cannot be placed on the student of 1989. I know it's not up to us to decide when there will be a reassessment of the 1989 event. Only the CCP has the power to overrule its position on June 4th. But there's one thing we can do now, and that is to protect and never forget the historical truth. Based on my rethinking about June 4th and uh, looking forward to the present-day China, I also have three thoughts to share with you. First, the basic social crisis which led to June 4th has never been resolved, and it, it continues to simmer and seethe beneath the surface of Chinese society. 1989 provided the best opportunity in Chinese history for the state and the society to cooperate together to bring about a political reform. But unfortunately, the Chinese Communist Party lost its chance to seize this opportunity. After the event of June 4th, the focus of the reform shifting from political and economic reform together to address only economic issues. So there will be heavy cost to the unbalanced development between political and economic reforms that will be paid for by further generations. In this respect, I think, 1989 movement and its influences is still an ongoing process in China. Second, we all realize that there has been rapid economic growth in China today, and as a distant, I highly prize the achievement of the Chinese government to promote economic reform. But still, I do not think that there is any way that Deng Xiaoping can be forgiven for the crime of crackdown on the peaceful and nonviolent movement. And at the same time, his contributions to economic growth cannot be ignored either. But only economic growth without political change is insufficient. 100 years ago, when Max Weber 
analyze the development of Germany. He pointed out that a backward nation that experiences a sudden economic growth will face serious dangers if the political system does not mature in conjunction with the economic system. The development of Germany in the following 50 years confirms Max Weber's prediction. Similarly, the future of China with its high-speed economic growth, but with not a modern political system, is not necessarily optimistic. Third, when we face all the splendor of modern China, we cannot ignore the fact that beneath this prosperity, we should remember that just like New York is not the United States, Shanghai is not China. Earlier last year, Ding Yuanzhu, a Peking University professor, conducted research about the prospects for China's future over the medium term. I was quite surprised to see the result of his work. That is, among the 77 experts and scholars whom Professor Ding surveyed, 51 of them expect that a larger social crisis will erupt on the mainland before the year 2012. The people whom Professor Ding surveyed are not distant or even not critical intellectuals. Rather, they are scholars and experts working within the establishment. I think if some of you may feel that their opinions carry more weight than my opinion, if that's the case, this survey can lead to only one conclusion. That is, economic reform alone without accompanying political reform will not ensure the further stability of China. Not only does China need political reform, but China must have political reform. And I think if there's to be a political reform, it should begin from a reassessment of June force. Finally, looking forward to the future of China, despite the many looming difficulties and crises, I'm still optimistic about the prospect for democracy. I believe sooner or later, China will have democracy. And I think that's very important for the generation that experienced June 4th, what we now call the 1989 generation, to rethink and remember the past. But even more important, our generation must look forward and create something new for the future. This includes initiating both ideological and institutional changes. For the former, our generation advocate for basic values. This include prosperity, stability, freedom, and social justice. The greatest differences between the opinion of our generation and that of the Chinese Communist Party is that the party cares only about prosperity and stability. In contrast, the member of the 89 generation know that without freedom and social justice, there cannot be sustained prosperity and stability. For the institutional changes, our generation advocate for isms, including liberalism, which 
has at its core social justice. Federalism, federalism, which is aimed at resolving the problems between the central and local government, as well as other problems such as Taiwan and Tibetan. Nationalism, but a moderate and a democratic nationalism, to make together a new national spirit, and finally, constitutionalism, which will be the framework of a new political system. Based on these four values and the four isms, we are looking forward to a new third republic in China, which will be different from that of Sun Yat-sen's first republic and Mao Zedong's the second republic. And I strongly believe that this new republic in China will be a very good friend of the United States and will be a responsible partner of the international community. And I hope that many among you will help us to give birth to this new China. Thank you very much. to questions and what we'd like to do, Wang Dong and his translator are going to share that microphone and then if you have a question we would ask you to come down the central aisle and uh, then you can use this microphone and if you're sitting in the central aisle why don't you take my seat right there. <laughs> How about that? That was Professor Gary Richardson so of Economics. So if anyone would like to ask a question, yeah, feel free to come down. <laughs> First, welcome to California. Uh, I have actually very easy questions to start. Um, maybe other people would have big questions. I understand you're a PhD candidate at Harvard. What's the topic of PhD dissertation, and what do you plan to do after that? Okay, my topic will be the comparative study about the state terror be, uh, between mainland China and Taiwan in the 1950s. So I still don't know. What should I do after the graduation? I have no idea. It still will take me like two years. So too early for me to decide it. Thank you for the simple question. <laughs> I noticed that you did not mention the rule of law. What do you think about that? Oh, I use Chinese. It's I think for the political dissidents in China, um, the legislation issue could be a breakthrough for, for them to find a solution for China. Uh, for the political dissidents during the 1990s, their major uh, strategy is um, to raise some really high uh, ideological um, goals or agendas. Okay. Uh, but the new uh, kind of a strategy for the political dissidents today is uh, what do we call the uh, rights protection movement. 
，因为维权运动的中心意思是说，今天中国的法律体系啊，当然没有完全能够满足真正的法治的要求。呃、uh, ，because for uh the political dissidents today, the um central issue for for them is uh right now the legislation system. Uh, in China today is cannot really fulfill their or realize their 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 goals. 但是至少提出了一些纸面上的，在我们看来比现实状况好一些的标准。But on just purely on the paper level, at least they um, provide some kind of standards that is better than uh, the reality. 所以今天反对运动的中心任务就是 push 要求政府把那个 gap 给填满。So right now, the central task for the political distance is to give the government the pressure and to fill the gap. 我们也注意到中国政府也主张 rule of law， 所以这个可能会成为反对运动跟政府比较有可能形成共识的地方。So as we realize, as we notice that the government also make、uh, the laws a kind of an important um, uh, um, agenda on their part. So we think this could be a a uh, matching point, uh, a point where the political distance and the government can reach a kind of a consensus. Hi, um, I want to thank you very much for fighting communist government and especially since they're just trampling individual rights. Um, but my question is, you said you're looking for a prospect for democracy and this is about democracy. So if the Chinese people were to vote in a communist government or another type of totalitarian government, would you then support them or would you still fight against such a group? I think it, would de it all, all depends on the um, specific political circumstances. I study uh, Taiwan, so I'll take Taiwan as an example. Uh, in the first several elections, when the political atmosphere just becomes more open, 那些反对运动的候选人都不用做什么竞选活动，上台一鞠躬就当选。So for those、um, for those candidates from the opponent political opponent camp, they don't need to do anything. They just go on to the stage and and bow to the audience and then get elected. 那个非常可能发生在中国。And that will very likely to become what is going to happen in China. 但是对中国民主真正的考验不是那几次选，就是说在以后的选举中是不是能够 maintain 那个民主的成果。But the real ordeal for Chinese democracy is now the depend is not dependent on the first several elections.、Uh, rather, it would depend more on the maintenance of、um, the following. 真正的 challenge 是。在这个呃专制政府丢失政权几年以后，那个对民主政府才是最大的考验。I think the real challenge comes after the totalitarian government lost their authority, and that will be the real challenge for the new democratic. 所以我觉得国际社会对亚洲国家的民主的支持必须是持续的，不能只是一时的。So I I think、uh, the international community or the international society's support. The Chinese democracy should be sustainable, not just、uh, for the moment. Thank you for coming.、Uh, the Chinese government has recently encouraged nationalism 
to uh, encourage support for the government. Uh, do you anticipate that broad nationalism growing in China, would that undermine calls for democracy and anti-corruption and reform? Or how, how will these, these forces compete with each other? Nationalism in The situation of nationalism in China is uh, very complicated because I think there are at least two types of nationalism. Uh, one is a kind of uh, national sentiment that is very natural in the uprising nation state. And that is due to some kind of a historical legacy. Uh, for instance, um, uh, Chinese people's hostility towards Japanese people, and then you can find the clue in the history. But there is another form of nationalism in China that is um, um, promoted by the government, is created by the government. Uh, it looks to me the uh, nationalism, the hostility towards uh, the USA, um, to me, uh, in, to a large extent, is due to the, the government's uh, pushing behind it. I don't think nationalism would necessarily be uh, a kind of a threat to democracy. However, if we let the kind of government-promoted nationalism become the mainstream, then it could create a threat to democracy. So that's why when I emphasize the four ism, I mentioned nationalism, but I also emphasize it's a kind of a moderate and democratic nationalist. So from this perspective, I always claim myself as a nationalist. So, this is KUCI 88.9. Thanks for coming, Mr. Wong. You have been my hero since I was a kid. Yeah. I'm so old. <laughs> um, I have a question. Um, many people, some people argue that uh, right now the majority of the Chinese population, they are not very educated. Uh, do you think it's an appropriate time for, uh, for us to have a democracy right now? And if uh, we are going to set up a democratic system right now, which kind of democratic system should we set up? Is it something like uh, what we have in the United States or we should have the parliament system or whatever? What do you think about that? Thank you. Uh, I wouldn't think uh, the educational level would be a hindrance to democracy. So several decades ago, even before the Communist Party grabbed uh, um, the uh, control of China, they have um, a democracy system in Yan. And I believe the, um, the educational level of the peasants uh, in Yan during that time will be much lower than uh, the peasants.
。你知道共产党怎么搞民主吗？他让那些候选人背对着选民坐在台上，然后投票的人一个个上来，投每个人的碗里投蚕豆，最后哪个碗里蚕豆多谁当选。Okay, so the way the um the the practice the democracy. Uh, is to let the candidates go onto the uh, to the stage and uh, with their back facing um, the voters and let the voters throw beans into the bowls uh, in front of those uh, candidates and so those who got more beans in their bowls will get elected. So. That's a kind of a democracy, and which might be similar to the kind of democracy in ancient Greece. So, if the CCP can do uh, can practice democracy at that period of time, so why can't they do it? At least we can have more production of beans. <laughs> 关于呃，什么是第一步推动的？其实，我们作为反对派，要求中共实现民主，至少从我个人来讲，没有要求中共今天马上要 do something。Okay, so as a dissident, we never really uh ask the CCP uh putting something substantially right right now at the moment. 民主在中国的第一步是希望政府先 stop doing something. So the first step. In our idea, in our conception for democracy in China, is for the government to stop doing something. It's not to do something. 比如说，北京大学有个学生啊，叫杨子立，就是因为在卧在在宿舍里讨论民主问题，判刑十年。So I'll give you an example. A student uh, whose name is Yang Zili, uh, who studied at Beijing University, he or she. He, he was sentenced for 10 years uh, in prison uh, only because he discussed uh, issues related to democracy in his dormitory. So we don't really have a very high expectation or standard for the current government. What we expect right now is stop doing those ridiculous things and show uh, their uh, sincerity of uh, promoting democracy. So some people would say um, promoting democracy in China right now would uh, destabilize um, China. But um, do you really think that you have a college student discuss democracy in his dormitory would really undermine the regime of China. So uh, for me to do democracy, our hope is for the government to stop doing something um, good, something, stop doing something ridiculous instead of start doing something good. Yeah, thanks, uh, Mr. Wang. Mm, maybe you are alumni. I'm also from Beijing. We are also, first name is Dan, you are my model. I mean, <laughs> thanks for contribution to our government and our people. I mean, I'm sure pretty happy to see you at this time. Uh, but I have one question. If, and if possible, um, if Chinese Communist Party won't make compromise with the democratic people, do you think it's possible you want cooperation with that party? 
的成果。如果政府真的愿意跟我们谈判的话，那我我当然马上就去跟政府谈判。现在问题是说政府不愿做任何 compromise。Uh, if the government is really sincere in uh, having negotiation with us, of course, the first thing I will do is to uh, go on the table with them, but it, it, looks, it doesn't look uh, as the case for now. Compromise 对我来说都已经是太高的要求了。我今天的要求很简单，就是说，我还能做一个中国人，可连这个好像现在都不允许。So even asking for compromise is a luxury for me. Uh, for now, what I just want to do is to be a Chinese citizen, but uh, even this I can't uh, achieve. For举例的来说,像我的护照已经过期,五年过期之后,我到中国大使馆去,希望compromise,希望他们给我延期,但是完全被拒绝,一直到现在不给我,这样等于事实上剥夺了我做一个中国人的权利。So, taking example, after five years, my passport has expired, so I went to the Chinese embassy and tried to see if they can make a compromise with me to issue me a new uh, passport, but they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> so I uh, wouldn't um, oppose the government's um, um, denigrating me as a bad person. But uh, at least you should let me be a bad Chinese person. So that really disappointed me and made me think the Chinese government is really narrow-minded government and make me kind of uh, pessimistic about uh, his, his real action of doing something. It's a little crowded, so if you, you can come down or if you just want to stand up, you can, you can state your question. So, soon? Actually, he, he did mention you earlier and said he's from Stanford. Can you take a break? <laughs> um, in the wake of the Gambia Square movement, there was uh, such a big, uh, big wave of support, uh, I mean, good, good will in overseas, among uh, overseas Chinese people. Uh, nowadays, we intellectuals uh, in the overseas, we talk about the declining uh, of the uh, pro-democracy movement overseas. And uh, I wonder if you will agree with it, the decline of the pro-democracy movement and overseas, and the big wheel has been kind of lost uh, among many uh, social observers. And so would you agree with that assessment? And also, uh, do you as a key leader, uh, formal and famous dissident, uh, in your behavior, in your remarks, did you contribute to this decline or not? For instance, your remarks remain related to Taiwan and make less people consider you as a someone basically as a, uh, a person uh, supporting independence of Taiwan. Uh, that eliminated a lot of people from mainland China. Um, I would like you to comment on that. I will talk more when we have a <laughs> 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 so, I'll repeat it so everyone outside can hear. Okay. Um, so it was a very long question. Let me see if I can repeat the, the essence of it. Uh, so 
the first part is, do you believe that the support for democracy in China has been diminishing among the expatriate community? Uh, the second part of the question was, did you somehow, as a leader of the democracy movement in China, contribute to this decline? And then the third uh, part was, in particular, by mentioning uh, the independence of Taiwan, did, did that cause a reaction among overseas Chinese, which led to the diminishing of support for democracy in China? Um, I have to admit that uh, the overseas democratic movement is indeed uh, declining and uh, I'm, uh, as one of the leader of the movement, I have the responsibility of that. But I think uh, the, uh, the failure of uh, the overseas democratic movement is not just my personal responsibility. All, every every uh, Chinese people living in overseas has a part of uh, responsibility. I think one of the important reasons for the failure is because a lot of outstanding people really, um, they don't really contribute to this movement. Uh, only let second-rate people, uh, uh, as me, uh, take the responsibility to, to do that. So I sincerely hope those uh, who have seen the problems would really participate into the movement and uh, uh, help with the solution of the problem. <laughs> um, for Taiwan's issue, uh, it's true, I have been to Taiwan many, many times in recent years and uh, to, as many, to an extent that I even make myself a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> but the main reason for that is because my dissertation topic is on Taiwan, so if I don't go there, uh, I'll have a problem with my professor. <laughs> so if you think uh, solely because I frequently Taiwan uh, in recent years and you think I support uh, the independence of Taiwan, then I would have to think that it's a little bit narrow-minded view. But of course it's not anyone's fault except uh, probably the Chinese government's misleading. So for uh, the issue of Taiwan, I think my standpoint is very clear, just uh, three points. So as a a uh, person from mainland China, not from Taiwan. Um, of course, the independence of Taiwan is not my priority choice. So, uh, in between the camp of uh, the blue and the green, um, what I support is the democracy of China, Taiwan, uh, regardless of whether it's the, the blue or the green. Uh, 
but in regard of uh, what kind of whatever kind of a situation, I would uh, strongly um, against Chinese governments using military force to attack Taiwan. So that's all I have for uh, my comments on Taiwan issue. Mr. Wang, you mentioned um, uh, social justice. I was just wondering, um, can you define it more uh, along the issues that you were concerned about? And uh, as for the present government, they are taking some steps in this direction. So I was wondering, um, what are your views on their uh, specific um, uh, actions, and how would you uh, suggest further actions? Okay, let me give you a simple example to uh, explain uh, social justice issue in China. Okay, so why do you think so many entrepreneurs uh, from the Western world are interested in Chinese market? I think it's a pretty straightforward for those who study economics because uh, labor cost in China is very low. So if you compare the ratio of uh, the increase of the uh, immigrant laborers in China's salary, the rise, the raise of salary versus the economic, the raise of the growth of economic rate, and then you will understand what's what I mean by injustice. So, as we who have some working experience in uh, in America, we all know that if you want to hire to fire someone, then you will um, spend a lot of cost. But in the northeastern part of China, it only takes probably um, $40, 30 to fire a, a worker. So if you compare the contributions those fired laborers made to the economic growth of the country uh, with uh, the, the kind of rewards they got, you will know what uh, I mean by injustice. I think the Chinese government has realized the, the gravity of this issue and they know that it will undermine their regime. But I, I wouldn't think that the government can really um, solve the problem unless they put in some sub substantial political Because of course uh, the issue of social injustice is not to be solved by based on a capitalist market system. So um, the capitalist market system is probably one of the most important reasons for causing this kind of injustice. So how can you um, depend on the market itself to solve the problem? So 
So the issue of injustice is essentially an issue of uh, economic allocation. And to solve the economic, to realize the economic allocation, you have to have some um, political reforms. Well, we're listening to a talk given by Wang Dan, and that was a Q&A uh, uh, session. We'll continue with that in a second. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions, the opinions expressed on the show are not, are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, we are going to continue with this uh, Q&A. In a second. That's why uh, that's one of the reasons why I said I'm not so optimistic about the situation. kind of a two-part question like are your intentions to um, transform more into democracy for a great, are your intentions to transform more into a democracy um, without allow the government greater population control with regard to economic development and there's a second part of this question too economic control and uh and the second part is that um, uh, with regard to, I guess, timing and um, the development of the banking system and the resources that you have available, is this the best time for China to move into a democracy? Full stage. Excuse me, can you, can you ask them to speak into the microphone so we can hear okay. better? Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this is more important than me. <laughs> Thanks. Um, 这个关于中国的计划生育的案例说不是我该讨论的问题。I don't think I have any um, authority in discussing the population control issue in China.不过我自己有切身的感受，因为我的nephew正好是这个计划生育政策下出生的。But um, I can share with you some of my personal experience. My nephew is was born uh, under the policy of a population control. My deep impression is that the generation of my nephew, they have uh, really big problems with their personalities. 我想这个跟计划生育政策是还是有些关系的，就独生子女恐怕在个性上是会造一些问题。so I think that has to do a lot with uh, population control policy. Uh, I think uh, the one son family, one child family, does can have some negative impact on the uh, growth of the children. China's计划生育政策，我我不觉得，in I don't think, in principle, the policy is the wrong policy, but uh, I do feel that it doesn't really achieve the kind of a positive effects it uh, aspire to achieve. Um, so in those big 
metropolitan cities is uh, probably true that uh, they got a pretty good control of the population. But on the countryside, the vast countryside area, um, is uh, very difficult to really control the population. I will say that China's decision to control the population has actually controlled the population, but I would say, overall speaking, the policy does have um, does make some contributions for the control of the population, but at the same time, it pays very high cost for the for the control. The second question is, um, of course, China is facing a lot of crises uh, right now. Um, but I think simply because of those crises, the Chinese government should realize the, there is more pressing needs for uh, conducting political reforms. For instance, in terms of the crisis of the financial system, this is not just an economic problem. It uh, also a very serious political problem. In the uh, procedure for the uh, local bank, for the banks to, uh, to um, finding loans to the um, uh, local industries, the corruption played a very important role in there. The rate of the infrastructure construction uh, in China couldn't be reduced. Uh, that has a lot to do with uh, corruption. So to solve those crises, we need to um, carry out the political reforms as soon as possible. Otherwise, it will be too late. You've been listening to a talk and a Q&A uh, following the talk. The talk was given by Wang Dan, who was a student leader during the Tiananmen Square uprising in 1989, the June 4th uh, events. And he's now a PhD candidate at Harvard University. He was here on campus on May 25th um, talking about this uh, as uh, sponsored by the Center for the Study of Democracy. Uh, this is Dan Zhang signing off for Subvesti here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.